This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 2nd, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you yet again here in Austin, Texas. Got a great show for you today. We're going to dive into the ongoing and unfolding battle between the Department of Justice and the protagonist of politics, Donald John Trump. The FBI is looking to avoid a special special master being appointed in the case that saw Mar-a-Lago raided that, from the FBI's perspective, would delay any investigation and, in the mind of Trump, would make things right. However... The most recent development, at least as I record this, is the FBI filing an affidavit that lays out exactly why they raided Mar-a-Lago. So we're going to get into the details on that. Also, I had myself a little thought. Because we're talking a lot about abortion, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, what that means politically. And you know me, I'm a, you know, uh, uh, let's look back at history kind of guy. So I got to thinking, what were the results when Roe versus Wade was first decided? So it turns out that was decided about a year and change before a midterm election. Is there anything that we can glean from that? The answer is yes, and it's complicated, and we will get to that in a bit. Also, our old pal Bill Scher joins us as the Democrats have renewed optimism. I saw some stuff on my Twitter timeline today with models showing, gasp, indeed, the Democrats holding the House. Boy, we went from a red wave to maybe a muted, if not inverted, result. What do the Democrats need to talk about and avoid talking about as we get ever closer to Election Day? Less than 10 weeks away now. Hachi. Machi. All that. Bird Prosecutors obtained a search warrant from former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate after receiving evidence that there was likely an effort to conceal classified documents in defiance of a grand jury subpoena. This according to a new Justice Department court filing that was released this week. So here's the big issue, and I don't want to dwell too much on 
what's happening right now because I do think that this is a longer process. But best I can tell, to boil down the back and forth here, the Justice Department is saying that the National Archives demanded things from Donald Trump that were not supposed to be sent down to Mar-a-Lago with him. Furthermore, they contend that there was top-secret information for which he no longer had clearance for. Because you have clearance when you're president, but the second that you ain't president, you ain't got that clearance anymore and you shouldn't have that information, whether or not you've already read it and seen it. The Trump argument is that he had declassified the documents for which he had. Now, that doesn't affect the fact that in this 36-page filing, indeed, the department's most detailed account yet of its evidence of obstruction of justice, they included a picture with a bunch of files on the floor that have very ominous block lettering saying top secret. It raises concerns that Trump and his attorneys sought to mislead investigators about the sincerity and thoroughness of their effort to identify and return highly sensitive records to the government. Says Justice Department Counterintelligence Chief Ray Bratt, the government developed evidence that government records were likely concealed and removed from the storage room and that efforts were taken to obstruct the government's investigation. The FBI, in a matter of hours, recovered twice as many documents with classification markings uh, than the diligent search the former president's counsel and other representatives had weeks to perform, which calls into serious question the representations made in the June 3rd certification and cast doubt on the extent of the cooperation in this matter. And so we are now talking about obstruction of justice. Before we go any further, I just want to lay this out because we have seen this process now a few times with the Mueller investigation and then the Ukraine investigation. And we haven't seen it as much with the January 6th investigation, although we have already seen rumblings. The Trump prosecution, and I mean that metaphorically, not in the specific case that we're talking about here tends to go into two phases. Trump and his ilk did something, and then Trump and his ilk, while we were investigating him doing something, obstructed the investigation into finding out if he did something. The fact that we are already on obstruction with this case is something that will likely draw yawns and probably rude gestures from the Trump fans who are listening. We continue on with what happened earlier this week. The much-anticipated court filing uh, includes a startling redacted photo of some of the apparently classified files recovered from the 45 office at Mar-a-Lago. Like I said, that is a startling image. That certainly is a picture's worth a thousand words kind of display, and and we do have to remember that at least in the legal fight right now, that is something that would be okay should a judge agree that Trump, as he is saying, 
had declassified the documents that he had. Whether or not you agree with that, that is where this particular issue is tilting. Now, I've largely read you these facts from the Politico article that came out. I thought they did a pretty good job of breaking everything down. If I were the editor, I don't know if I would have went with startling in descriptions of the redacted photo. You could just say a redacted photo. What is, who's startled by the photo? Do you look at the photo and do you go, ah! <laughs> My word, bah! I don't know how startling it is, but it certainly is an interesting photo. Anyway, there is a part at the end that I found to be a bit of a buried lead. Because the initial indication from this West Palm Beach judge that inspired this writing of the the, the Department of Justice, because it seemed as if the judge was leaning toward appointing a special master to review these files, files for which the Department of Justice says they've almost already reviewed and they've set aside a bunch of stuff that uh, will fall under attorney-client privilege for the president, former president. But yet, at the end of this filing, here's what they write. Typically, parties who seek the appointment of a special master following the execution of a search warrant make such requests immediately said Brad. While arguing against the special master, the filing offers some suggestions if the judge decides to appoint one anyway. Prosecutors say the special master should only review the seized records for potential, uh, potential attorney-client privileged information and not for other issues. In addition, the Justice Department says that if a special master, quote, must be permitted to review classified documents, that person should have a top-level security clearance to avoid delay. It is the contention of the Department of Justice that Donald Trump is trying to delay this process. That's what this special master is all about. And indeed, they spell it out in the memo. Prosecutors are asked for a tight timeline, arguing that if a special master is appointed, all work to sort out these privileges be completed by September 30th. Now, I'm not here to say that the FBI is working on anyone's interest. Far as I know, this is all just a total coincidence that is happening right before the election. However, it's my job to rate exactly how politically affecting any one thing is. You know, even acts of nature. If it were to rain uh, uh, for, for the next 10 weeks leading up to the midterms, I got to have an opinion on exactly what it's going to do. There is no doubt that the Democrats would like for this midterm to be about Trump, 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 Trump. They believe that next to abortion, that is the most time-tested way that you can get Democrats to leave their house and go to the voting booth. Make this about Donald Trump. I believe, regardless of what you think about the January 6th commission, that there's a reason why this thing is going to last right up until the midterms. And I believe that if the Democrats did control the FBI, that they would want this to be its meatiest and ugliest and loudest right before the midterms. Because they want anybody who has any connection to Donald Trump, up to and including everybody who was endorsed for the Senate. 
Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, half of the dude who got nominated in Missouri, one of the Eric's. They want all of them to pay a price at the ballot box because they want to go out and say, if you vote for this person, you are voting for the person that is, you know, we're at at whatever stage we are with this FBI investigation being investigated by the FBI. They are Trump. Trump is them. Finkel is Einhorn. On the Republican side, and this is where Trump is, regardless of his unhinged truth profile and demanding that he be installed as president or a makeup election be uh, put on as soon as possible. Jesus. Regardless of that, he knows how to spin something into his favor. He is more adept at the media than the FBI is, than the Democrats are. He has always had that natural advantage. Now, he does not have the advantage of knowing how things work in the government. And at this point, he is one and one in terms of trying to win presidential elections. He's had a fairly stout record in terms of the primaries in his own party. But he's got a spotty record in general elections. We all remember Roy Moore. Then again, Roy Moore did enough to capsize his own campaign in Alabama than uh, than Trump did. Still, Trump is going to make this into a you need to go out and vote for Republicans because the federal government is out of control and I am being persecuted. So. What I want you guys to do in your lives, especially if you're in areas that are in contention, statewide races that are in contention, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Georgia. Don't look at this as asking everybody who you think, whose side you think they're on. But when you're talking to somebody that is a voter one way or another, if they are a diehard Democrat, if they are a diehard Republican, and they have voted in the previous election, I'm curious to know whether one of these two things motivates them. Does the Republican feel that the federal government's out of control and that's why they got to put in more friendlies? Does the Democrat believe that Donald Trump is an existential threat to democracy and the fact that he is is again in criminal hot water, this time with the FBI, only further proof of that? That's what I want you guys to look at. Speaking of existential threats to democracy, yesterday we covered on the PX3 Extra the Joe Biden speech that happened on Wednesday night, all about the existential threat to democracy. These are the bonus episodes that you get when you are in our $3 club. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and get on the train. We only got 10 weeks left. 10 weeks till the election. 
it's three bucks a week to be a part of this. So you're looking at 30 bucks, 30 bucks that makes sure that you never miss a moment of independent, unfiltered political analysis. I'm staking my own reputation here. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. This is the time when the show is the most valuable. Because guys, I'm telling you, every single other one of these political podcasts that tilt one way or another, they are the pep rallies. And friends, I'm not here to deny you the fun that you can have at a pep rally. I'm not telling you to not wave your pom-poms. I'm not telling you to not jump up and down and believe that indeed you guys are going to go out and beat state. But every once in a while, you're going to need to look at the scoreboard. That's what we are here. That's what you get. Not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times a week. If you are at our $3 level at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you to everybody who has supported us and continues to make sure that the PX3 rolls on. All right, here we go. 1974 to 2022. What do they have in common? Well, they got abortion in common. 1973 saw the establishment of Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court. 2022 saw the overturning of Roe by way of the Dobbs decision. It also had inflation. 1974 had an 11.4% year-on-year inflation rate. Jesus. 2022 sees a 8.5% inflation rate. So let's understand where we are. The Republicans are in power in 1974. So the Republicans, if we're going to use our modern rubric on the past, should have benefited from a renewed sense of fury from pro-lifers and the Democrats should suffer for it. That's what we expect in 2022 in reverse, right? Because we're overturning it. So the Democrats are going to benefit from it. The Republicans are going to pay for it. At the same time, the Republicans are in power. So the Democrats should benefit from inflation frustration. So everybody goes to the polls in 1974, and what happens? Well, of the 34 Senate seats that were up for grabs, the Democrats ramped. They gained a net four seats, putting them in the majority. Of the 435 House seats, the Dems waved on in and washed ashore 49 new seats. So, if we're going to look at that, and we're going to say that the thing that would have benefited the Republicans was pro-life politics, and the things that would have punished them were the economic factors of inflation, then we can say, based on the 1974 example, that the economy meant more than abortion. Right? Huh? No, not really. 
for two main reasons. Here's the first. Uh, the coalitions that we understand to mean Republican and Democrat then and now are quite simply not the same. The Democrats, even in 1974, were still in the final stages of shedding Southern power brokers for Northern elites, essentially trading places with the Republicans of old who used to be a New York City party. That means that the GOP didn't have a lock on the faith and family lane of politics in the way that they do now. A reminder that in 1974, we're only two years away from Jimmy Carter winning the White House, where he would teach Sunday school during his administration. Can you imagine what would happen if a president tried to teach Sunday school in the White House these days? Woo. If we are to understand that the colonel of the pro-life movement is religious than in the mid-70s, not everybody who went to church pulled for the same party. That is largely true now, at least in the way that we understand national politics. And that is even the lesser of the two reasons why 1974 is a lot more complicated. Here's the second. And it's a biggie. Watergate. Oh, yeah. The resignation of Richard Nixon happens August 8th, 1974. So if we're going to put that midterm, the, the, the transparency of that one over top our modern calendar, that means that the president of the United States resigned three weeks ago. What's more, the new president, Gerald Ford, gave Nixon a full and complete pardon September 8th. That means that if we're going to compare that calendar to our calendar, that the new president would pardon the outgoing president of all prosecution later this week. That's how close to the election all of that happened. And so. Any sober-minded lessons that we could hope to learn from 1974 are lost in the sauce of a scandal right on top of this election. So, yeah, too bad. Unless, of course, there's a massive scandal that could take down the sitting president in the next two weeks. Our guest today is a writer for Washington Monthly and Real Clear Politics. He is no stranger to this program. He's our good friend. He's Bill Share. Welcome to the show, Bill. I thought your people would be sick of me by now. No, no, we're not. And and uh, they're not able to see it, but you are you are in a picturesque setting in in Long Island right now. It looks amazing. You look it looks yeah. looks gorgeous. I don't I don't have the the real American put up by your bootstraps backdrop right now. No. But I'll try to do my best to <laughs> uh, to explain, you know, middle America for the next 30 minutes. I guess yeah, maybe maybe this is not the exact <laughs> setting to discuss uh, uh races in Carbondale and Mansfield uh but but we are we are going to because we are at a moment now I believe where we have the beginning of the end of the midterm story 
kind of clear. We we've we've uh, we're not in a situation now where I believe where we were uh, certainly six months ago where this looked like a fairly clean midterm well, washout for for the the party in power. And yet I also kind of feel that the the moment of unbridled democratic optimism that has popped up over the last few weeks is probably a little bit oversold. So before we get into what the messaging should be for the Democratic Party going into these final weeks, what is your sense of the state of play? Um, I wrote a piece back in May of 2000, 2021. Yeah. That, that's laid out a scenario where Democrats kept the House. Not saying it was probable, but like this, yes. is, this is the path that would roughly take. And we might have even talked about it on a past show. I can't remember. I believe, I believe we did. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the basic you know, gist of it was, sure, we've had 36 midterms since Reconstruction and 33 of those 36 midterms, the president's party loses House seats mm-hmm. and Democrats have only a five seat House margin right now. So it sure looks like. It, they're going to lose the house, and, and, I, and, still- I, and I would say two, two and nine eleven. Nine nine eleven, I feel like falls into its own, its own. Well, that, uh, well, that's exactly the point. Um, yeah. The the three exceptions, yeah, are two thousand two, which was post nine eleven, yeah, and also October two thousand two was when there was the Iraq War authorization vote, which was popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Kids, uh, ask your parents. Nineteen ninety eight which was right when the House, the Republican House voted to launch the impeachment inquiry into President Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. during a time of economic prosperity. And so there was backlash associated with that. And then you got to go back to 1934, which was FDR's first term and he's battling in the Great Depression and is and is being thanked for his 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 labors. Now, there's a fourth case where. The president's party lost just a tiny amount of house seats, and that's 1962, and that's right after the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. So all those four examples are examples of crisis. Even the Clinton impeachment, if you go back to the media coverage back then, the mantra was, we're in a constitutional crisis. Yes. Uh, 2002 is a national security crisis. The 34 is the Great Depression. 62 Cuban Missile Crisis, foreign policy. Uh, so you had s- something that made the public say, uh, I like what the in party is doing to manage this crisis or to beat back this crisis. I'm not inclined to throw them out. Uh, now, so I wrote that 15 months ago. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, I wrote that in the middle of the pandemic. Yes. And at the time, Biden's approval for the pandemic was at 63%. So Very good. I, I, I didn't say, I know it's going to be this way 15 months from now, but if they are, Democrats are credited for handling the pandemic, that this could be another crisis example of bucking the historical pattern. Now, here we are. Democrats are probably not being rewarded for the pandemic. No. Biden's numbers on the pandemic have dropped down to 49% uh, in the average, in the five, five, has tracked that average. Uh, but we have other crises in the mix now. We have we have an inflation crisis, which doesn't really benefit Democrats. That, that, would, that, would, that would normally hurt them. Yeah, correct. 
Correct. We have an abortion crisis, which has been instigated by Republican stacked Supreme Court. And, and, uh, I, and think, driven I think by Republican legislature. If you say anything other than, than, than <laughs> that, then I'm very, very excited to hear what crisis <laughs> could be motivating Democrats more than that. And are we have a democracy crisis? And uh, and those numbers that threats to democracy, I mean, they're not, they're not say top of the list in every poll, but they did top the NBC News poll. Uh you have an ongoing, you have multiple ongoing investigations into Trump. You have Trump leaning into those investigations and calling broader attention to them. Uh, and you have a slate of election deniers, you know, in, in a lot of uh, hot races. Uh, now, I'm going to layer one more thing on top of all that. Okay. Which is, there was uh, a, an academic paper published in 2010 by three poli-sci profs. And they looked at the generic congressional ballot, which is the poll that pollsters ask, yes. the, the wording can vary, but it's essentially who do you plan to vote for in the congressional election, the, the Democrat or the Republican? No names. That's why it's yeah. generic. Uh, and they're arguing, they said they, they compared that to the presidential job approval data in those same midterm years, going back 16 midterms. Mm -hmm. And their conclusion was those numbers don't track. They, they the, don't. They are not correlative. So so uh, the the common uh, understanding is that a presidential job approval rating will drag the party down and that would be a, uh, reflected in the congressional ballot. But this academic paper says maybe not it's the opposite. The out party, the party that does not hold the presidency, their generic congressional ballot numbers typically improve over the course of the midterm year regardless of where presidential approval is. Hmm. Uh, so their conclusion is that so that there are two, two basic theories of, you know, why is it that the president's party always loses the midterms? Is it a referendum on presidential party performance? Mm -hmm. uh, if that was the case, well, then presidential job approval wouldn't matter more. If it is not a referendum election, but a balance election, the electorate generally wants to balance things out. They don't want things going too far one way or the other. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter the exact nature of presidential approval. There's going to be some tendency to pull back and go pull towards the center from whatever poll we're, we're currently at after uh, the presidential election. Uh, so I think that's a plausible argument. But we do have to square these exceptions. Yeah. Oh, uh, if it's not exactly presidential performance that's creating the exceptions, then what is it? So I'm to synthesize that my my theory is if the country wants balance, I mean, I mean obviously there are, there are partisans on both sides that don't care, but there, there's some swing elected on, that wants on balance. average, on average, yeah. it, there's there's compelling evidence to say that America does not want one side or the other getting too powerful. If you're in a crisis, the balanced choice might well be the president's party, depending on a mixture of performance and, and general reputation. You know, so uh, in 2002, Republicans were widely considered the national security party. Yeah. Uh, so they benefit automatically from a national security crisis. Yeah. So 1998, uh, you know. Economy is going well. Republicans are acting in an imbalanced way. We're going to disrupt things by impeaching a president in good economic time. So the balanced choice is to maintain 
the president, the president's party. Uh, so, so to bring it back to today, you have an unusual circumstance where the out party is doing things. The out party launched this spate of abortion bans with the, with the combination of a Republican-dominated Supreme Court and Republican state legislatures. Yeah. The, it's the out party dominated by Trump who has brought on the January 6th uh, investigation and now a security, a national security documents investigation and fielding a slate of election deniers. I mean, the Senate slate of candidates in all the competitive races are all Trump endorses, you know, with the exceptions yes. of if you if you can start Colorado competitive or you know, Trump gets a half endorsement in Missouri, which wasn't even supposed to be a competitive race. Otherwise, you know, J.D. Vance, Herschel Walker, yeah. Dr. Oz, Blake Masters. Um, you these know, these, were, these all, were all these were all Trump guys. So. Right. So. All right. So. So you believe that there is enough uh, enough here to say that that might fall into the element of crisis or balance that that could lead to a pathway for the Democrats. It, it certainly puts it in play. It makes it a non-ridiculous suggestion yeah. <laughs> that Democrats could actually lose less than five seats and keep the House. And even a better argument that they can keep the Senate, because if you took all the polling today and the election was today, they would not even keep the Senate. They might even pick up four Senate seats. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm taking all the if yeah, just if, just if, if, over yeah, if, 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 yeah if, if, if you don't correct for for, you know, some of the some of the the how far off the polls were in, in 2020, then yes, it looks very, very rosy. Well, we have looks, 2020. I mean, the polling in 2020 was not uniformly off the mark. It was it was bad in Wisconsin. It was bad in Florida. You know, it wasn't bad everywhere. It was bad uh, in so, Ohio and it was bad in Pennsylvania. And and those yeah. are those are, are two of the the very important sure, sure. Uh, 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 seats here. Now, I looked at the congressional, the, the generic congressional ballot. I did this in a Yeah. So, by the way, I've written some of this stuff for Washington Monthly. I've written some of these things in Real Clear Politics. If you want to look at some of my yeah. more, you know, loosely articulated arguments. Um, yeah. You know, generic congressional ballot. Last 10 midterms in the Real Clear Politics average. Six of those times, Republicans, the, the, the National House popular vote, Republicans outperform. Four of them, Democrats that overperform. So it may be that these polls are overestimating Democratic performance, but it could go the other way. You know, New York 19, the special election just happened uh, last week that the, Demo that the Democrat won. You know, mm -hmm. he was he was behind all the polls. I think yeah. except one. And he overperformed. Um, so uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty there. So I, I would I would not argue that Democrats have this in the bank. <laughs> uh, no, you certainly. You know, the generic ballot average is essentially knotted up right now. Uh, you'd be more confident if they had a seven point advantage than, you know, a 0 0.5 advantage. Yes. Uh, but it's not implausible that they could actually keep Congress the way things are currently going. And then the last thing I'd say is it's also highly unusual for there to be momentum in the president's party's direction in the generic congressional ballot. And they have gained about four or five points since late April. Again, it usually goes the other way that the out party improves over the course of the year. We're not sure. seeing that right now. But 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 usually you don't have an overturning of Roe versus Wade within eight months of the election, which, well, is, well, exactly, which is what exactly. happened here. So so if. You are are uh, uh, the, the the field general here for for the Democratic Party. What are the issues that you believe 
they need to talk about more because if those are the issues that are discussed, they are going to continue to move the needle in their direction. And what are issues that you believe they should avoid? Let, let, let's well, start, again, start with the ones that they need to talk about. I think the frame here is balanced. The Democrats should say we're the party that's going to keep things stable and not take us off the rails. Uh, OK, abortion, definitely front and center. Republicans, we want, are we want to get back the, to where things were before. Now things yes. are crazy. We wasn't it nice before the Dobbs decision. We can bring it back there. Yes. Um, you know, th- threat to democracy. Uh, you know, a bunch of Trumpers in there trying to uh, talk about 2020 and, and screw up our Democratic uh, election apparatus. That takes us off the rails. We want to keep things on the rails. Now, here's where it gets stickier for those. Those are easy things for Democrats to, to handle. There we go. And those I mean, they, they've certainly been talking about democracy. Democracy has been on the ballot for for uh, as long as Joe Biden has uh, been been contemplating running for president. And certainly uh, the abortion issue is a stone cold winner, at least in terms of the polls so far. Now, inflation, inflation has been very, very bad over the course of the past year but getting a little bit better as of late. Obviously, if it keeps getting better, that's going to help Democrats. Cost uh, of living is down. That's that, those are the, which to me that is what tracks with Biden's approval rating is gas and some foodstuffs. You know, like if 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 those are down, those are the things that that affect people the most. Those are the ones that poke I you in the eye. I believe it was Derek Thompson the Atlantic several years back that found a correlation between re, real disposable income and midterm performance. Um, okay. So it's, it's 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 disposal income, you know, accounted for accounting for inflation. Um, so, and I I don't know offhand what those numbers are right now. Um, but yeah, the, the better inflation gets, better for Democrats. Uh, what Democrats want to be wary of is getting too cocky and think, hey, we we dodged a bullet. We did 1.9 trillion ARPA. We did yep. the Inflation Reduction Act, climate, health care, tax reform. We did student loan debt. Um, and we're doing great. Let's pile it on. You elect that you keep you give us the Congress. We'll we'll abolish the filibuster and we'll do universal child care and we'll do free this and we'll do free that. Um, that's going to give Republicans the opening to say these guys don't learn their lesson. They can't yeah. help themselves with their overspending. And if you think inflation was bad last year, wait till you see what happens if you give them more senators. Um, so do you, do you, do you not I, think that that student debt, that student debt is that? Because I do, I, I do think that that student debt was something that, that opened the door for Republicans to say, this is what they do when they are in power. They make sure that the gender study student gets the money that the, the bricklayer uh, earned. Well, we just saw a CBS poll that had student loan debt uh, up 54.46. I don't know how that translates on a race by race basis, but it doesn't seem like a giant loser to me just based on what data I've seen. Well, the, the one the one thing that I think it has utility on the Republican side is that it allows the more fiscally minded or not natural fits for the MAGA base to have something to talk to them about. Like Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz can go to a lower income uh, uh, whites without a college degree community and can have a rousing speech because of that. And those are the people that he needs to turn out if he's going to beat John Fetterman. If inflation kicks up over the next several weeks, that becomes a very easy argument for Republicans to make. Yes. You know, they, even if there isn't an actual correlation, they, they did this. They they signaled that debt doesn't matter anymore. 
and yeah. boom, look at what happened after that. Um, I think they need more data to be able to extend that argument over an ex- uh, over a several weeks time, not just be a 24 hour news story with a few, you know, tick, tit for tat. Um, so if I'm de- if I'm a Democrat, if I'm, if I'm running, if I'm the, if I'm QBing here, I'm saying, look, we we've pushed this envelope pretty far <laughs> and we've gone away with this, it. To the, the, a point. This is this is the playbook and no further. That, when that you is, play this blackjack, is what we you don't just say with. hit, hit, hit every single time. At some point you yeah. say stage so you don't go bust. Yes. And you want to emphasize not the partisan things you did that involved the bigger spending, but the bipartisan things you did. Look, we'll work with reasonable Republicans. We did it on gun safety. We did it on semiconductor manufacturing. We did it to keep the government open and, and not default on, on, on the government debt. We did it to extend the PPP loan program. We'll keep we'll keep doing that. And I think that would put them in their, in their best possible uh, situation. Uh, uh, Bill Sherr, thank you so much for joining us. We will speak to you next time. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brad Stewart. Of course, you can say thank you to Mr. Bill Share at px3guest.com. If you want to email the show, pretty simple. Email theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so. PX3 Tweets. On Twitch, I stream live. PX3 Live. Our newsletter, which I'm writing again, which is nice. It's px3newsletter.com. And you can find this podcast and share it with your friends, family, and clergy. px3podcast.com. All right. You want to support us? Again, independent podcast. We're about to go back on the road. We're about to go see the the meat of this general election. You can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you would like to me in the mail at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. One five. All right. This is something really funny. So I was joking around on Twitter after the student loan forgiveness stuff came out. And, you know, when I was coming out of college, I had, you know, about 30,000 or so in outstanding debt. And I paid it off, you know. (laughs) I paid off $30,000 by myself with the following jobs. A professional line waiting person. That was my first job out of college. A a blogger, a podcaster, a professional scavenger hunt maker. And... And that I paid it off when I was a professional scavenger hunt maker. Turns out that's that's more lucrative than you might think. Anyway, I said on Twitter, look, I don't begrudge anybody getting this free money. That's fine. I paid off my stuff. However, I would like it if the federal government could send me a hat. I would just like a hat. I, I wasn't even picky on what the hat would say or what it would do. I would just kind of like a hat. So I challenged the federal government to send me a hat. I started typing in all caps. For whatever reason, 
People have loved the idea of sending me hats. So the American people, and by the way, they're not giving me hats. They're for giving me hats. Just in the way that you're not getting free money. You are having your obligations forgiven. My lack of a hat is being forgiven by the great people of the United States of America and probably abroad as well. So far, I've gotten a, 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 a black hat with an American flag on it. I have gotten a hat for, I believe it's a Wichita minor league baseball team that is lime green and has an upside down cow on it. And then I got a Pittsburgh Steelers hat, which I was in the, in the market for a new Pittsburgh Steelers hat. So I'm pretty happy about that. Here we go. I'm going to draft George Pickens number one on my fantasy league. If you would like to send me a hat, because I have a feeling this is going to be a bit, you can go to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Now, if you want to get our bonus content, there's only one way to do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Including the Finn Fizzler. Matt, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Amanda, Yo Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Kneemeister, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, invoke Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arzlanian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana, Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, D-Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Who Loves, Frank Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L, D-Really, Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want to join their ranks? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Labor Day weekend is upon us. While you listen to this, I am on a uh, a secret mission. Can't really say a lot about it. Can't say where I'm going. It is podcast related, but not this podcast related. But I hope everybody has a good time. Dragon Con in Atlanta. It's a, a Burning Man. So if we have any Dragon Con people listening, we got any burners listening, salute. Salute. I hope everybody has a good time. Maybe you keep it low key. Head on out to a beach, grill some burgers and hot dogs, jump in a pool, maybe. Put all your white in the closet. You don't wear it after Labor Day. Hope everybody stays safe and happy. I'll see y'all next week. Till then, your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.